It was pure emotion, unadulterated thoughts that there's no way I can lose. I was thinking about how much money I was going to make when I was taking the trip. I automatically put in my brain, man, I've made X amount of dollars, like 36% in the last few weeks and months. Now I'm going to make another 100%. Silver's going to go from 45 to 80 you know, there was the news stories, right? There was articles, there were people talking about it. Everyone was discussing silver. Everyone was talking about how amazing it was. And for me, it just seemed really easy and really simplistic to be in silver. And my only thought was just about how much money I was going to make. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name's Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest Jeremy Alexander Newsom. Jeremy, are you ready to rock? I'm ready to rock, my friend. Yes, what a great intro. I love it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you can't see the video, but he and I are watching each other and we're both standing up. So we are pumped up. So let me tell the audience a little bit about you, Jeremy. Jeremy is the CEO and co-founder of www.reallifetrading.com. He has one of the fastest growing audiences and websites on the internet and attacks the market with an energy exuberance and humor that is truly refreshing. He has been professionally trading the stock market since he was 21 years old. That's a while. Jeremy specializes in candlesticks, gaps, day trading with shares, options, swing trading, and credit spreads. Jeremy, take a moment and fill in any further tidbits about your life. That, that's a great bio. Thank you for reading that, Andrew. I appreciate that immensely. And I began my, my love and interest for the U.S. stock market from a movie that many people are very familiar with, Forrest Gump. So I'm sure you remember at the end when he goes to the mailbox and he says that Lieutenant Dan invested in a crew company and they didn't have to worry about money anymore. At the time, I was very poor. And I was with my dad and I asked him, you know, what, what's investing and what is the fruit company? Because we always worried about money. <laughs> so I tried to figure out how could we not do that anymore? And he told me about Apple computers, obviously, as the fruit company. And I told my dad, I was like, well, you should invest in Apple then. You know, if Forrest Gump is doing it, then you should do it. And he said, oh, it's not that easy, son. You know, this is the movie. It doesn't work that way. So anyway, over a few months of time, I begged him to do it. And he said that whatever money I gave him, he would match it. And he would buy some shares. So I went and picked a bunch of blackberries, like the ones off the bush, and sold them door to door. And raised over $1,300 that summer and gave my dad $1,300. And this was back in 1994. So we bought some shares of Apple and we did really, really well on them. So eight years later, six years later, right around there, he gave me $12,000 as a 12-year-old. And I was hooked ever since, kind of my... My induction into investing and trading. Oh man, the number of people that have been inspired by Forrest Gump. Lieutenant Dan. Yes, <laughs> such a good film. Uh, Great book too. Yeah, exactly. Someone asked me, why did I stop running? <laughs> I used to <laughs> run, now I just walk. I said, I don't know, I just stopped running one day and I started walking. So that's right. Go. Great intro. Now it's time to share your worst investment ever. 
And like we talked about before this call, since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. I can tell you pretty much exactly. And what was great about this is you reached out to me on LinkedIn and I get numerous requests on, on LinkedIn and messages. Uh, I just didn't ever look back at it. But when, when the tagline said my worst investment ever podcast, I was like, man, that's going to be so easy. <laughs> I know exactly what it is. It's the number one uh, trade that a lot of people think about. Let me bring up the information first. So this was my 21st birthday, which is about eight years ago. And so I'm 38, 30 now. So it's approximately eight years ago and some change. And this was my dad. So the same dad that gave me the money uh, from the Apple shares. He finally, after months of asking him, gave me his retirement account to trade. I was doing a strategy up until a certain point. So the first three months, I was doing a strategy that I knew and I understood. And I made 36% return on his $100,000 that he gave me, which was his entire retirement account. So I made 36 grand in three months. And so I was pumped, man. I was really excited. He was excited. We were telling all my friends and family. And I learned about options and options, as many people may or may not know, they just move much faster than stock. So my thought was if I can make 36% on shares trading stock, I wonder how much I can do trading options. And I made a lot of money. That, that money that I made, I was trading silver shares. So I was buying silver companies. The very first one was First Majestic Silver, ticker symbol AG. That did really well. I was riding the wave of the silver train. And we're talking, the news articles were coming out. People on CNN were talking about how silver is the next thing. People are using it every day. <laughs> you know, people, people are buying it on, online. They're using it for this type. They're using it for this. They're doing this with it. You know, everyone's talking about silver. And I was so excited about this. And I had ridden the wave up. And it just seemed like everything was so simple. I could not lose. If you buy silver, it's going higher. This is it. I'm telling other people about it. I'm bringing up the charts. I'm showing them, hey, look at silver. It's just going straight up. This is a perfect investment. I mean, the thing is just doing this. And uh, I know the audience can't see me, but the chart on silver to this day is comically funny. It's, it's just straight up. And we had a recent move in another industry alike that happened in silver. And I was able to avoid this thanks to what happened in silver. But I hold the official, or sorry, the unofficial <laughs> Guinness World Book of Records for buying silver at its highest price ever. And not only did I buy it, but I bought call options, a lot of them. I think I bought like 300 call options which was at the time, I think $16,000 on investment on silver. Some of our listeners, like my 80 year old mother who listens to every single one, may not know what a call option is. So I'm just gonna okay. tell mom, mom, a call option is when you think something's going up. It's not enough just to own the underlying stock. What if you could take a leveraged bet and say, I wanna make more money when this thing goes up. An option allows you to do that. So there you go, mom. 
Yes, exactly. Thank you for that. Uh, you're, you're absolutely correct. So it's the leveraged position, also known as a derivative. So I didn't want to buy just the, the silver. The, the what I was trading was actually ticker symbol SLV, which is an instrument that tracks the spot price of silver. So instead of actually buying physical silver, which you could have easily done, right? Just go to the pawn, pawn shop or online and buying physical silver. You can buy shares of silver that track the actual price of silver. And at the time, uh, I could actually pull up a chart and let me just do that since you know the traders and people listening can't see it. I just want to do it for my own record just so I can remember. Because uh, it's, it's very, <laughs> it always brings back fun memories because I pull this up and I'm always thinking to myself, who, who would buy there? <laughs> Looking at it now. You know, it is so obvious because silver, for many people who might remember, this is back in 2011. Again, I'm going to get the chart to pull up in just a few quick seconds. But silver went from, I believe, $18 an ounce to over $45 an ounce in a, sh a few short months. It was just an absolute hysteria. And when a share price is going up like that, it just validates your, it gives you comfort. Like I'm on this train and it is running up. It's running, man. You're absolutely right. And so, yeah, so this 2010, this is when I started kind of trading and, uh, and kind of dipping my toes into the water a little bit more. So silver was, yeah, in 2000, September 2010, silver was at $20 an ounce. Yep. And that's when I started buying it. I was buying some silver. Uh, I was doing it in my 401k, buying shares, so on and so forth. The absolute highest that silver ever went, SLV, was $45.57 per share, which is a massive increase from just a few short months. So this was April 2011, April 18th. My birthday is May 2nd. So it was my 21st birthday. And the reason I remember is because as of most people, the 21st birthday, you celebrate in a very outrageous, ostentatious way. And I had to drink to kind of forget about the pain. But it was, uh, I bought, I mean, Andrew, literally, I've shown records of this, at 4557. <laughs> I was the guy. Like, I went the highest that it ever went. I said, yeah, it's going to keep going. This was after just an absolute move. It's uh, what, we, what we in the industry refer to as a parabolic increase in price or a hyperbolic extension of price action, however you want to define it. And what, and what was it that was going on in your mind at the time? Was it the technicals that was driving that? Or was it saying the underlying you know, shift in demographics means so demand for silver is just going to go continue to rise? It was pure emotion, unadulterated thoughts that there's no way I can lose. I was thinking about how much money I was going to make when I was taking the trip. I automatically put in my brain, man, I've made X amount of dollars, I mean, 36% in the last few weeks and months. Now I'm going to make another 100%. Silver's going to go from 45 to 80. You know, there was the news stories, right? There was articles, there were people talking about it. Everyone was discussing silver. Everyone was talking about how amazing it was. And for me, it just seemed really easy and really simplistic to be in silver. And my only thought was just about how much money I was going to make. So then, so what happened? 
<laughs> we're, we're hanging on a cliff now. <laughs> so the very, I mean, the very next week, silver goes from 40, 48. So I mentioned earlier, 45, I'm sorry. It was $48 and 35 cents. Silver drops in one week, Andrew, to $35. So we're talking about a $10 move on a $45 stock, which is over 20% drop. And what, as you mentioned, I was buying on leverage. So I not only was just buying the, the actual underlying position, but I was buying something that is leveraged. And what makes it even better is I did those out of the money which for those listening simply means they have zero value whatsoever other than pure speculation. So I was speculating at its highest degree and over the course of one week, I lost all of it. So the whole investment went right out the window because the value of what I purchased pretty much went to zero and there was nothing I could do other than just hold. So there's two things I just want to help the audience to clarify. The first one is when you said out of the out of the money options, it's really basically saying I'm going to the to the batting area and I'm only going to swing for home runs. Yep. I will not swing. I might I have no interest in getting a single. Okay. No singles here. So it's a home run number one, a home run strategy, which is an all or nothing strategy. The second thing that's important, some of the listeners who haven't I mean, I, I know that there's some listeners who are starting to get into options and they've heard, they've been seduced. And what's an interesting thing you said is kind of a little bit strange. Wait a minute. So the share price went to zero? It went from 48.35 to zero? You said you lost everything. Ah, maybe that's yeah. the difference between stocks and options. Correct. Clarify You're- how it went. How is it that that would go to zero? Absolutely. So what an option is in its finest instrument, it's an instrument as insurance. And so there's only two types of insurance that exist. There is an insurance for the downside and an insurance for the upside. And many people don't even know that one fact about trading itself, but you can insure your stock positions, which right now will be very beneficial for many traders, I'm sure, because a lot of us know the S&P and the Dow and everything is just tanking but you can buy something called a put option, which really is an insurance position for your shares. What I bought was called a call option, which is an insurance for a short trader. So realistically, what I'm doing is I'm buying an insurance position, only expecting the stock to go up. There is no other way you win when you buy a call option. The only way you can win is the stock continues to go higher. And what I did was buy a $50 call option when silver was trading at $48.37. So it was a position that I said, it needs to go to 50 in order to make money. And it just never did. Got it. So even though right now, silver, the actual actual position, the stock right now, is obviously trading very, very down. It's, uh, it's down at like around 13.69. So had I bought shares, I actually still would have some money left. Not very much, not very much, but I'd still have some. <laughs> and you know, you can still keep positions and you can do things with your positions if you continue to own them. But bottom line, I lost all of it, but it didn't stop there, Andrew, because the thing was, I was like, man, okay, this is cool. Just a normal correction. Right? This is the stock pulling back and then it's going to bounce and rebound higher. 
So what I eventually ended up doing was buying even more options a few months later in August of 2011. And that's when silver dropped another 20% and I lost all of the money. So the $100,000 that my dad actually gave me, he gave me $103,816 to trade with. It was through a Charles Schwab broker and I lost every single penny on positions that were out of the money, holding them, you know. So that's, this silver was one of those examples. Okay, stop right there. <laughs> I need you to explain to the audience about the emotions mm. that you went through, that your father went through after this happened. Now, obviously, one of those emotions was, oh, it's nothing, I'm gonna get back in and get this trade right. There was part of that, which you said as you re-entered. Yep. But I just want you to help the audience understand, you know, how crushing it can be. So what was really interesting during the situation was, as I mentioned earlier, I was only worried, only thinking, only considering profits. I never thought about downside. I never thought about how much money could I lose? How can this go badly? What happens if this goes the opposite direction that I want it to go? In that scenario, what was happening in my mind I went on to really do a lot of self-diagnosis and learning about my psychology and my thoughts and my beliefs at the time. And it was a very strong psychological component because I'm trading my dad's money. I'm 21 years old. And what was happening is when I refused to take the loss, I, I tried you know, years later to figure out why. Like, why did I not just get out, take a, take a loss of some kind, and say, you know what, hey, sorry dad, we only lost 50,000. Okay, rather than losing it all, why didn't I just like get out, take the small loss? It comes down to two reasons. People are afraid of only two things to an extent, unless it's an irrational fear. People are only afraid of not being loved and not feeling good enough. And what was happening in my brain is I was thinking, if I get out of this position and lose money, it's a guaranteed loss which means there's no way I can get out of it. Since it's a guaranteed loss, I'm gonna to have to tell my dad, hey, we lost money. And if I lose my dad's money, he's not going to love me anymore. That was the mental psychology that was going on in my brain subconsciously at the time. I didn't think about this out loud. I was just fear-stricken. I was panicked. I did not know why this was happening. I did not know why silver was going down. And I certainly did not know, uh, I knew, actually how to get out, but I didn't because I was so afraid because if you realize a loss, it's final. There's no other way to get out. Money's gone, goodbye, thanks for playing. And if I did that, I'd have to tell him, hey, I lost money and he wouldn't be upset, you know, he wouldn't be proud of me and if he wasn't be proud of me, he wouldn't love me and that was the mind and I didn't want that string to come true, so I just never got out, which caused me to lose even more. For, for the sake of the audience, and we're going we're gonna to start to wind this down, but I want to go through because I really appreciate that you're willing to share. What you said was your mind. This is what your mind was going through. But I believe you've, you've not really stated it as clearly. It's the reality is this is what your emotions were going through. Mm -hmm. So our mind is one thing when we're thinking, thinking. But our emotions touch a different part of us. And our emotions can shake us to the core. And the two things you've talked about is not being loved and not feeling good enough. 
I, I want to highlight um, the second one. I mean, the first one obviously is very, very specific to your situation. But the second one about not feeling good enough applies to many of the people that I've interviewed who are real serious financial professionals who are held in high esteem in the community of financial professionals. And so it ends up in a lot of cases, they actually hide their losses. Mm. They don't reveal their losses because they're afraid that they're not going to be worthy for what it is that they're supposed to be. And so I have a friend of mine who's a leading person within the financial community in his country who shared a story that was just an awful story of just mistake after mistake that he made in his investment. And he never shared it before. And so sometimes I think what I really want to recognize is that out of all of my guests, you're one of the guests that has really truly highlighted the emotional reaction to loss. And I think one of the best books on this is, uh, that I read in the past was Your Money and Your Brain by Jason Zweig. And that book helped me to realize that investing, investing is a physical thing. Mm. We have emotional reaction and we have mental reaction. And those reactions can be measured that it is seriously a physical contact sport. And most people who go into it don't realize how easily their brains and their emotions will be manipulated in it. So that's um, something I really appreciate that you share. I wonder if you could bring it home by, let's say, telling us the lessons that you learned from this. Man, I, I pre first of all, I appreciate the compliment. And second of all, I learned a lot of lessons. I didn't immediately learn them. Most people don't. We wait and wait till the pain is big enough. That's, that's anytime someone changes is when the pain is too great to bear it anymore. And then the change becomes made. So I did not stop the bad habits probably for another year after that, late 2012, which at this point seems like yesterday, but seven years ago. The lesson I learned, number one, was anytime everyone loves something and everyone's talking about it, don't get in. Right, so Bitcoin, perfect example. Bitcoin at twenty thousand. Right, don't get in. I saw signs driving to Panera Bread on the road that says, "I'll buy your Bitcoin at a price." I was like, "Okay," you know, like <laughs> my signals were going off, and and I, I was actually bullish Bitcoin on the way up, but at, at the point in time, I was like, "Okay, this is going to be a great place where it's going to pause." That's a big lesson, though. The reason it's a big lesson is everyone's talking about it. Like all of your friends, all the news, all the outlets, don't do it. The second thing that I learned from that was risk mitigation. That was a very key thing. Because, like you mentioned at the outset, you can make a lot of money in the markets. But there are strategies that you can use where you can either win big or if you don't know what you're doing, you can lose everything. All of it. No matter how much money I would have put in that trade, I would have lost every dime. And that is only because of what would have happened. Now, there are ways, the derivatives, the options, whatever you want to call them, you can trade them in such a way where you can protect yourself. I did not know how, and I, did, I probably wouldn't have done it anyway, even if I didn't know how, but now I know how. And you have to learn that risk mitigation is key in this environment. Because if you don't have the money, you definitely can't trade <laughs> and you certainly can't get it back. But if you have the money, you got to protect it. So if I know for an absolute certainty that you can lose all of your money on a particular position, 
then since you know that, you have to protect yourself. Regardless of how much money you have in this world, you can lose every dime on a position that you don't know fully, understand how it works. That's a huge revelation, and at least it was to me. Let me summarize what I take away from your story. Actually, there's so many things that I wrote down, and I'm going to just pull out a few different things, but I'm going to also highlight one key learning I've been learning from interviewing so many people. The first thing is what I call the white Toyota syndrome. And that is when you buy a white Toyota, all of a sudden you notice there's a lot of white Toyotas on the road. Yep. And this is the concept of confirmation bias. And that confirmation bias is that, you know, what we're doing is we're looking for things that confirm our belief rather than a true serious long-term investor is welcoming ideas that go against their belief and they see the value in that. Now, what I also want to talk about is um, the idea of, I, I wrote down trend following is risky, but trend following is not exactly what we're talking about. I mean, there is momentum trading that you could do where you're moving with the trend. But what I really mean is the bubble excitement when everybody's talking about it is what you've taught us is when we're in that period where everybody's talking about it, do not invest. The final thing is something that I want to kind of bring out of what I learned by studying. Now think about this, Jeremy. When I wrote out my first email about a year ago to everybody I knew, I said, would you be willing to tell me your story of your worst investment ever? Now you know how email reply rates are these days. Yeah, yeah. I don't have time, but I got 500 written stories in reply within a few days. Wow. And I knew that there was something there. And then after going through all 500 of those and now interviewing about 60 people, I brought it down to, 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 to basically two different things that I, I like to look at. First are kind of what are the common mistakes? But the more important thing is what should be a good process of investing for the average beginner? And I haven't put it out. I'm going to put it on myworstinvestmentever.com in the next couple of days. It's, it's a six-step process. Step number one, you find an idea. That's what we've got to do first. Second, you research the return. Third, you assess the risks. Fourth, you create a plan. And this is, of course, most people don't even write out a plan. Right. Fifth, fifth, you execute the plan. There's many stories of loss where we've heard that people have actually come up with a good plan and then they're too afraid to execute it. And then you monitor the progress. We have many cases where people abdicate their responsibility for their investment by not monitoring it and leaving it to someone else. And the reason why you're monitoring, monitoring it is because you may need to execute your risk plan. Now, the key thing that someone may say, well, that's pretty common stuff. And that's, you know, what we learn in investing. But the first thing you can say is that those six steps, most people don't follow it, particularly beginners. But I think what's most important out of these six steps that I, I've taken away is that you want to separate the research that you do about the return and the research you do about the risk. And this, basically what I'm saying is that um, how, how do we handle that? Uh, it, the great book uh, called, uh, what, what's it by Michael Gerber about uh, the e-myth, about the entrepreneurial myth. He says oh, that yeah, when the book. fantastic book and he talks about the entrepreneurial seizure. Mm -hmm. We've all seen it. Some of us have felt it where it just, this is a total winner. I mean, how could it not be? This is a no brainer. Like watch out for that, that those two words, no brainer. But what happens is you get into this entrepreneurial seizure and you can't be shaken out of it by anybody. And so what is important is that we separate the work that we do on researching the return 
which brings all the positive emotion and the assessment of risk and the researching of risk and risk management. And I think if we do that, we force ourselves to move to a separate phase of research that allows us then to say, okay, this is a great return. I'm going to make a ton of money, but now I have to look at how to manage the risk. And I think this story that you bring um, really highlights the separation of the two and the value of that. Uh, is there anything I missed in, in those points that I've raised? Man, nope, not really. <laughs> that was a really great, great uh, lesson. And, and yeah, man, that's bottom line it does come down to the risk profile, you know, because again, if we have to, when we only see profits, there's going to be an issue at some point. Might not happen immediately, but if you only look at the profits, there will come a time where you get humble. Yep, fantastic. And so now let's, let's narrow this whole discussion down to the final pieces of advice. I mean, after all, through your website, reallifetrading.com, which I highly advise that the listeners check out and listen to. You've got a growing audience. You've got a lot of energy. You've got a lot of positive. But what is, from this story, from what you learn from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Beautiful question. The one thing I think that would be most advantageous for your listeners to do is number one, go get a charting software. So it could be tradingview.com. It could be thinkorswim, freestockcharts.com, Yahoo Finance, doesn't matter. Go get a charting software and go back in time. And for every one of the listeners that, uh, or sorry, for everyone, the guests that you had on the show, each one of your listeners should pull up that chart, look at it, and discern why that was a bad trade. Because if you can also visually identify why something is not a good idea, it can also help when you see it. Because the truth is, I'm not the only person who's ever bought the top of the bubble. You're probably going to get a guess if you haven't already had one. In a few weeks or months, they're going to talk about, hey, man, I bought Bitcoin at you know, 20000 or I bought Ethereum at 2000 And if you can visually identify what a bubble looks like or a hyper extension of price action, whatever you want to call it, you have a much greater chance to not buy there. It doesn't have to take a lot of work, but I've, I consider myself a bubble specialist. I've spent hundreds of hours going back in and researching and reading and doing actual day-by-day analysis. You know, the Great Depression, two, you know, the tech bubble in 2000, 1987, the you know, Bitcoin bubble, the tulip mania, many others going back and actually looking at visually that information. So that would be my number one thing because that's something that you can quantitatively do right now. A lot of people might say, oh, well, you know, emotion this or thoughts this. That's hard, right? Controlling your emotions and you're controlling your thoughts is a, is a difficult thing to do. It takes time. But what you can do quantitatively, like physically, is get in front of a chart and go and look at what these things looked like. And when you see another one, your brain will recognize that pattern. You'll go, wait a minute. I've seen this before. Maybe I shouldn't buy right now. 
Beautiful, beautiful. And I think, Jeremy, for you and me, for our members in our different groups that we help people with, I think our welcoming gift should be a pack of bubble gum. <laughs> that's right. That's I think that's, we're going to be the bubble gum boys. So I love it. fantastic. I love it. Well, there we go. Listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk. Visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we wrap up, Jeremy, thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for our audience? Man, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity and thank you for allowing me to be here. I agree fully, by the way. Anyone who's on your show, at least they, uh, at least they have the the gumption to talk about their trades and their losses because every trader is going to have losses. Every investor is going to have losses. It doesn't matter how much money they've made or, you know, they've made over the time. They've, they've had certain situations that they've lost a lot of money on. So being honest, being humble, being open about it is key and it's integral and it's very important just through the whole process of learning. You can learn more from your losers than you will for your, from your winners without question. So I just want to say thank you for your time. Thank you for being here and for all your listeners. This guy is a, an absolute consummate professional. So it's been an, an honor working with you and uh, hope, to, hope to do it again. Fantastic. And I think that's a, a great, a, so many great lessons that we learn in this one. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, go down to the store, buy yourself a pack of bubble gum, start chewing it and think of Jeremy Newsom. That's a wrap <laughs> on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.